Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Hey everybody, it's great to welcome you to our first service of 2021. A happy new year to you all if I've not seen you uh, since Christmas. And uh, today is very special because uh, we have some in-person services happening, but I'm coming uh, by video to you. And of course, at the same time, we've got our beautiful online family who are also listening to this as well. But it'd be great to just give a round of applause to everybody who's in person and also the online. We just, the fact is we're one church in seven locations and we love every single one of them. We're in a season of prayer and fasting and uh, this is a time you've already heard in the service where we encourage the church to uh, spend time to really encounter God and believe for some breakthroughs. It's over the next 21 days. Talking of prayer, I, was, uh, I heard this story. Uh, there was an atheist who was walking through the woods and he was admiring all that evolution had created. What majestic trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals, he said to himself. As he was walking alongside the river, he heard a rustling in the bushes behind him. And he turned to look and he saw a seven-foot grizzly bear charge towards him. He ran as fast as he could up the path, kept looking over his shoulder and saw that the bear was closing in. He ran even faster, so scared that tears were coming to his eyes. He looked over his shoulder again and the bear was even closer. And his heart was pumping frantically as he tried to run even faster. But he tripped and he fell on the ground. And he rolled over and as he was trying to pick himself up, he saw the bear right on top of him. Reaching for him with his left paw and raising his right paw to strike him. At that instance, the atheist cried, Oh my God! Time stopped. The bear froze. The forest was silent. Even the river stopped flowing. As the bright light shone upon the man, a voice came out of the sky. You deny my existence for all these years. You teach others I don't exist. And even credit creation to a cosmic accident. Do you expect me to help you out of this predicament? Am I to count you as a believer? The atheist looked directly into the light and he said it would be hypocritical of me to suddenly ask you to treat me as a Christian now. But but perhaps you could make the bear a Christian. Very well, said the voice. The light went out, the river ran again and the sounds of the forest resumed and then the bear dropped his right paw, brought both paws together, he bowed his head and spoke, Lord, for this food which I'm about to receive, I am truly thankful. Amen. Have you got it? I absolutely love that story. What a great story and of course there's a fun element to it. We are talking about prayer And um, as I've said, we're encouraging you in this season of prayer. Today I'm beginning our our series called For This Cause. For This Cause. It's a five-week series. And uh, we believe that we are living for a cause. We're not a rebel without a cause. We have been given a God-ordained vision. 
And over the next five weeks, we will endeavour to unpack the truth from a book called Nehemiah. I'd encourage you to read it. Many business and uh, professional people have used this book because there's great leadership in this book of the Bible. But for those who don't know, Nehemiah, let me give you a little bit of a background. Nehemiah, while Jewish tradition identifies him as the author of this book, he often writes in person. Nothing's really known about his youth or his background, but we actually meet him as an adult serving in the Persian royal court, and he was the cupbearer, personal cupbearer, to the king. This was a prestigious position, and it revealed something of Nehemiah's upright character. Though he remained in Persia after the exiles had been allowed to go home, he was highly interested, had a deep love for the state of affairs in Judah. Nehemiah was a layman, not a priest like Ezra or a prophet like Malachi, but under Nehemiah's leadership, the Jews withstood opposition and came, to get, came together to accomplish their goal. And Nehemiah led by example. He gave up a respected position in the palace for hard labour in a politically insignificant district. And Nehemiah's life, as I've already said, provides a great study on leadership. He overcome opposition from outsiders as well as the inner turmoil. And he exercised superb administrative skill in his strategy to use half of the people for building while the other half kept watch over the Samaritans who would threaten to attack. He also partnered with the priest, Ezra, who appears in this book, and they solidify the political and spiritual foundations of the people. One thing that marks Nehemiah out was his humility before God, and he was provided to be a great example to the people. He didn't claim any glory for himself, but always gave God the credit for any success. This book of Nehemiah shows us the kind of significant impact one individual can have on a nation. Nehemiah was living for the cause. He saw the value of prayer. He saw the, the importance of working together, of not doing ministry alone, of living generously, looking after the needs of others, and also a stickability, a tenacity, a commitment that always wins out. Now, I really believe, Arena, this is a prophetic call to us because this series, we're going to unpack many of those things that I've mentioned. But today, I want to identify five distractions. I call them crushing foes that arise and can arise in our own hearts. They can arise in our homes and they can arise in the church. And they are meant to distract us and trip us up. And we need to identify them and defeat every one of them. So if you're just turning your Bibles to Nehemiah and chapter 2, if you haven't got a Bible in this new year, please click on the screen. We'll make sure that we send one to you. Ask one of the hosts in your campus. They'll make sure they give you one. Or alternatively, you can download the YouVersion app and all the translations of the Bible are on there. So Nehemiah in chapter 2 and verse 17, this is what it said. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates had been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. 
I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, this is the people he's speaking to, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and they ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? But I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants. We will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Nehemiah's task was to take the walls that had been burnt down, that had been decimated. The, the, the nation of, uh, of Israel, Jerusalem, was desolate. And his task was to build the walls. As soon as he begun, as soon as he begun, the foes started gathering, insulting, intimidating, shouting, and ridiculing. Have you ever wanted to do something great for God? And you've determined, and as soon as you've done that, you've had all these kinds of thoughts come to you. These are foes that we have to defeat, recognize and defeat, if we are going to walk into our future and our destiny. So I'm going to identify five. I'm going to work through them with them at pace. So please stay with me. But I wonder if you can identify them in your own life. The first foe is of comfort. Number one, comfort. Now, people have, they give babies a comfort blanket. You may have a comfort blanket. We have comfort food. Oh, comfort food's great. We're all like infatuated with comfort and making ourselves comfortable. But in this context, comfort is the enemy of progress. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, as I've already said, and he lived next door to the king's chamber. He was privileged and indulged. He would have been highly regarded and rewarded. He would have slept on satin sheets and air conditioning in the hot and humid summer nights. There wouldn't have been air conditioning, by the way, but you get the thought. There was the finest of wines and food, and there was a handsome pay package that he received. But Nehemiah gave up the comfort of the palace for the cause. He was filled with grief for his homeland, his people, his God. There was in disgrace because of the broken down walls. And he rose from his personal comfort. I was talking to someone recently. They said, I've got pleasures and home and family and great job, bank balance. But I'm empty. People live all their lives to get comfortable and then realise that isn't what they were looking for. As Bono said from that song, you too, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I want to say to you today that God is the person that you're searching for, you're longing for. There's an ache, an emptiness in every one of our hearts. And only God, only Jesus can fit that hole. And I want to encourage you at the end of the broadcast to lean in and pray the prayer that I'll be praying with me. Comfort. Comfort can really stop us advancing. And on the people of God and the church of God, we're not called to comfort, guys. We're called to advance and progress. That means at times it's going to be hard and difficult. It means we have to give things up. Some of you, God is calling. I want to call the called. We're all called, but some of you are called to serve the church. Some of you are called to leave behind what you were doing and follow God, as I did, as many people have done over the years. 
wholeheartedly. I want to encourage some of you. In 2022, we'll have the launch, relaunch of our ministry school, which has been brilliant over the last two years. It may be already you need to be setting yourself up in 12 months' time to make sure that you can be on that ministry school. Because I want to encourage you to get ready. God is coming and he is tapping on your shoulder as he did to me as an 18, 19 year old to come and get everything, to move away from the comfort of the job and to serve him. For others of you, it's the comfort of your job that God has called you to. He's given you a new idea for a business, a change of career, a retraining. And what stops these things happen? Comfort. We become comfortable in where we are, where we live, what we own. And I want to encourage you to shake it off. I feel like I want to break out into a Taylor Swift song. Shake it off. It is shaking off, isn't it? I think it is shaking off. Anyway, well, let's, let, me stay with this, let me stay with the message today. But the point is, don't allow the comfort to overtake you from your calling. Over this prayer and fasting season, 21 days, we remove the comforts from our lives. We remove the comfort foods. We remove the TV. We remove the media to focus upon God. And for him to download his cause and his purposes into our hearts. We have to remove comfort. Secondly, confusion. Confusion. We have to deal with the foe of confusion. Now, demolition sites and building sites are messy. They're noisy. They're active. Verse 17 of Nehemiah 2, we read it. It says there, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Notice the language. Ruins. And its gates have been burned with fire. There, it, was, it was just, you know, it's tragic. It was terrible. Rubble and ruins and fire. But then compounded with that, you've got guys by the name of Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem who were intimidating. They're spewing out lies and they're spewing out mass confusion, trying to stop the work before it started. I want to tell you, there is a foe. He is called the father of lies. We don't make much about him, but we recognise he's a real foe. The Bible tells us. And he comes and he sows seeds in our minds, seed thoughts in our minds. I want to tell you, he is a liar. And the only way that you deal with him is through the word of God. You bring the word of God to him and he will flee. When he tempts you, there is only one thing you do. You flee from temptation. And his sole purpose is to sow fear and confusion into the hearts of people. Romans 12 verse 2, Paul said to that church in Rome, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We've got to take captive of those thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. And I'd encourage you, if you'd like some material about this, you're struggling with your mind, there's some resources and books that we can point you to because it's a very real subject in this 21st century. Paul also said to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, he says, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Why? Because he understood, Paul understood, the dart of confusion that comes to all of our minds. Let me tell you, it often comes through our eye gate and then enters our ear gate. And then if not handled carefully and properly, it enters our mind space and then into our heart space. And we become confused. And Sambalat, 
Tobiah and Geshem are a picture of the work of Satan. How they sow confusion. This world is confused. I'm not trying to be political or trying to be politically correct. Let me just make the statement. People are confused. I talk to people on the streets. They are confused. They don't know what. The church needs to be a voice. And it needs to be driven by God's word, not popular culture. Young people are confused. My heart breaks for young people who are confused. Kids, little kids who are confused. Marrieds who say they don't want to be married anymore. They're confused. And the enemy comes and he steals and he kills and he destroys. What do we do with confusion? Well, what I've done over my life, I've sought the counsel of God. I've been confused at times as things that have come to all of us. None of us are exempt from it. We don't live in this bubble. We have to seek the counsel of God. We've got to then submit to his word and ask him. And when we ask him, the Bible says that if we lack wisdom, ask of me and I'll pour it out upon you liberally. What happens is wisdom flows as we come and submit our hearts to God. As we get in good company and clarity flows. Confusion. But thirdly, calamity. Now, Nehemiah was constantly in danger of attack. You've got to read Nehemiah 1. Read the whole, chap, uh, whole book. But from 1 to 6, you see that they're constantly under attack, the threat of attack. And what he did strategically, he posted half of the families with a trowel, rebuilding the walls, and the other half with a sword. Because there was threats and intimidation. There was the potential of calamity, trouble. And John 16, verse 33, Jesus says these great words, but it's also like sobering words, because he says this, I have told you these things, so that in me you will have peace. Then Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, there's great comfort from these words, because he says, I have overcome the world, and I'll give you my peace. But there's also a sobering part to it, because it basically says, you will have trouble. Calamity will come to all of our lives. And we have no control over this part of our, of our lives. And Nehemiah had no control over the, the, the attitudes and threats of others and challenges of others. You may say, with regards to trouble, well, I work for it. Or for some... I married it, <laughs> and I'm sorry if you feel like that. But trouble comes to all of our lives, and it comes to disappoint us, and it comes to bring us to a point of despair, and some people even live depressed. And its sole purpose is to stop us. I've been reminding myself of these great words in Deuteronomy in chapter 31 and verse 6. As Moses was passing down to Joshua, his successor. And this is what he says to him. Take, be strong. Take courage. Don't be intimidated. These are great thoughts. Don't give them a second thought. Because God, your God, is striding ahead of you. He's right there with you. He won't let you down. He won't leave you. Take courage. Be strong. Don't be intimidated when calamity and trouble comes to your door. Brian Houston, whether you love Hillsong or are not into it, I want to tell you I've, what, what we've seen of Brian over many, many years. Not perfect, but just a genuine heart to love and serve God. And he constantly has to address all kinds of challenges across his church network. 
but I recently read something that he'd put out and this is what he said. What he said. When it's hard to see how things could get any worse, start to sing. Praise the noise away. Oh, I love that. Praise the noise away. Have we got any praises in our campuses? Have we got any praises online? Praise the noise away. <laughs> Lift up a shout, a shout of praise. Bring songs of worship to God and watch your enemies flee. I love that song. It's like a little bit of a, a chorus that we sing. This is how we fight our battles. In this 21 days of prayer and fasting, this is how we fight our battles. Guys, can I encourage you to lean in to God, His Word, and allow God's Word to fill your heart. And this will carry you through 2021. Another foe, carnality. Let me just take it back for a moment. Oh, we won't like this. Let me put it in brackets, childishness. Are you still with me? Great, are you still with me? That's fantastic. Because these three characters who I've mentioned a little bit about, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they were carnal. They were devious men. And in Nehemiah in chapter 4, they actually say to Nehemiah, what is that you're building to the people? What is that you're building? If even a fox would climb on the wall, it would fall down. They went, no, 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 no. They were just showing, throwing stuff out there. And then they go on further because they just carry on. They disregard them, the people. They carry on building. And then Nehemiah 6, in the early part, I think it's verse 1 through to 4, they then send a message to Nehemiah and say, come, we want to just have a friendly chat with you. And this was Nehemiah's response in verse 3. I sent messengers back to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down to meet you. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Verse 4, four times they sent the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Oh, the trickery of the enemy, the trickery of these boys. But they were just childish, carnal. And what I've realised with carnality and childishness is that it is in many, many people but first of all, we have to deal with it in our own lives. Because we can enter into foolishness and childishness and carnality. The love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, towards the end, Paul says this. When I was a child, I talked like a child and I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I put the ways of childhood behind me. Paul was addressing the issue of church, people, men, women. Grow up in God. Put away your carnality. Put away your childishness. Put away your pathetic arguments. And we've got to stop being childlike. And Nehemiah had to deal with the childlike three characters of this story. They were like spoilt behaviours. Grumbling and petty arguments and, you know, we can have playground spats and, listen, they happen in the church and they can happen in homes. We need to grow up. Men, grow up. Women, grow up. Grown men and women. Come on. Let's grow up. Let's stop living with offence. That's carnality. It's not an occupant of this house. It's a thief of the arena church. We won't live offended. 
I read recently that somebody put out there, being offended is inevitable. How true. But living offended is a choice. How true. We're all going to get offended, but we don't want to live offended. Stop living with offense. If you're offended, do what you need to do to put it right. Get your heart right. And we need to stop making excuses. Own it. I am fed up with people not taking responsibility. If you've made a mistake, I say I've made a mistake, I can live with that as a guy who employs a lot of staff. What I can't be doing with is people who won't own the mistakes. Own it. Own it in the home. Husbands, own it. Dads, own it. Kids, own it. And let's quit the blame game. Because childishness is not just in children, but childishness can be in men and women. And by the way, unfortunately, childishness can also be in the church. And all it does is create division. And this is merely a strategy meant to keep us from the divine. Lastly, are you still with me? These are big, big issues that you may want to work through in your groups or with one of your mentors. But if we're going to enter into all that God has for us and live for the cause, we've got to deal with criticism. Now, we've got to know the difference between godly and goofy criticism. I read this, the trouble with most of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. Some people cannot handle anything negatively, even just a tinge of negativity, because they're so fragile and precious. Listen, we've got to be able to take it on the chin. And sometimes it's necessary and needed. There's been times when my wife has needed to say some things to me. Of course she's wrong. I'm always right. Those blokes are always right. And by the way, I'm on dodgy, dodgy territory now. I know that. And she's actually in the room at the moment. She's watching and listening to all of this. Of course it's not true. We need challenge. We need correction. And it's needed and necessary. But sometimes criticism needs to be rejected. Because there are some criticisms that have been laid at my door that are unfounded, that are untrue, and they are lies. And as a leader, I've had to deal with it. And I have to deal with it positively. Because if I don't deal with it positively, I either go one of two ways when it comes to criticism. I either become passive, then anybody can say what they want, or I become cynical. And I become hard. And I choose to live with neither. I will never live passive. I will never live cynical. I want to live free. Can I raise a yes amongst you? There have been many occasions when I've had to make leadership decisions that's not been liked by all and not agreed by all. But if I can say out of humble conviction, I have stood my ground. This is what Nehemiah did when he faced the criticisms of these three chaps When he faced the criticism of some people, he stood his ground and he continued with the cause. You see, my security is not in popular opinion or the praises of men, but in God and God alone. Nehemiah had to navigate the battleground called criticism. Let's not allow criticism to enter our church arena over this year. Let's do everything we can to live at peace with everyone. Let's live with encouragement, not criticism. Yes, dealing with issues when they come and dealing with issues properly and correctly and quickly. But let's do our best to live at peace with everyone. I hope you've got the foundation of this series 
because we want to enter into the cause of living for Christ. God has a great plan for us in these four corners of this M1 corridor and beyond. God has a great plan in every one of our locations. And by the way, we're still dreaming of planting multiple campuses in the years ahead for the glory of God. You may have been one who's been badly damaged, hurt or rejected. I want to tell you that it was not the heart of God. God loves you. You may be on the, in the service today and you may be thinking, I've beaten up. I've been criticised, I've been rejected. I feel all those things that you've talked about. I want to tell you that Jesus declared his purpose when he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He loves you, sir. He loves you, madam. He would simply ask at the beginning of this year that you would put your trust in him. Turn your heart and life over to Jesus today. I wonder if in every location... We would bow our heads. I wonder if we would online now bow our heads wherever we are. And if you today say, I want to give my life to Jesus, then I'd ask you to respond by either raising your hand in a moment or if you're online, clicking on the screen. But first of all, pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, today at the beginning of this year, I ask that you would be my Lord and my Saviour. I put my trust in you. I ask that you would forgive me, that you would cleanse me, that you would wash me clean. I ask that you take me out of the pit of despair and you set my feet upon a rock. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would refuse and refute and destroy all the lies that the, the enemy has put on me. And I would live with this new life that you promised, a life full of fullness. I receive it now. Listen to me. While every eye is closed and head is bowed, if you've prayed that prayer, then I want to tell you, God has heard and God will respond accordingly to you. I wonder if you just click on the screen. I wonder if you just raise your hand where you are to say, yes, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and as my Saviour. There's all heaven that rejoices with you. The Bible says all heaven is rejoicing over people who are coming to faith in Christ. And it's a wonderful, wonderful decision. If we can help you in any way, then please do not hesitate to ask. But before I finish, may I just pray a prayer over the church as we begin this season of entering of prayer and fasting, believing for change and breakthrough and progress for all. So Heavenly Father, I now pray in the name of Jesus that we would see a season of breakthrough and change, healings, deliverances, breakthroughs like we've never seen before in our locations, people rushing to find you, blessing, resource over the families of this church and over the people on this broadcast. God, may you touch the lives of people today. In Jesus' name we ask it and we give you praise. Amen. As I finish, as always, I love you, I'm praying for you, and I believe in you. God bless you.